Welcome everyone to episode 56 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is Dave Burnswag. I've known Dave for probably over a decade now at this point. Uh, he is a, a Columbus Battalion Chief. Uh, he's been in and out of that health and safety position for a few different times. Uh, he is the local 67 Columbus Firefighters health and safety guy. He is the OAPFF health and safety guy. He is on uh, just about every NFPA committee I think there is. I'm kind of exaggerating, but kind of not really. Uh, the guy is all over the place. And whenever I have a kind of random health and safety question to ask, it's my first call most of the time. I bug the crap out of him. Uh, you know, it's an absolute ton. But uh, he is just a plethora of knowledge, uh, just awesome guy, and finally suckered him, suckered him into doing this podcast. And uh, I didn't really have any particular topics in mind because, you know, the thing with this guy is he can talk about everything, you know, everything to do with health and wellness. So uh, we just kind of went a little bit all over the place, and uh, it was probably more casual than uh, most of the episodes here. But, I mean, I have that relationship with him. I'm, I'm blessed that way. So without further ado, I'm going to shut up and let's actually bring Dave in. So Dave Burnswag. All right, welcome everyone to this week's episode of the 25 Live. I've got a very special guest and my good friend, Dave Burnswag. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing great. All right, thanks for finally being on the show. I've been begging you for months and you finally gave in to my constant request. Well, thank you for having me. It, it was really easier just to get it done and over with and me keep bugging you, right? No, well, <laughs> it's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. You're the one doing great work. So there's so many different topics that I, I feel comfortable talking to you about. You are you kind of unique in that as far as you're just all over the place. So I'm just going to like throw a topic out there. It's kind of like a word association and you could just go to town with that. Are you, are you up for that challenge? Uh, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Sometimes I need a few minutes to warm up, but let's get the wheels turning here and it sounds like fun. All right. So let's talk about let's just do SCBA for overhaul. I mean, and I ask you that because, I mean, you've been doing this for long enough to where we weren't doing this at all. This was crazy talk. And now we finally have gotten to a place where a lot of places are actually doing this. This is the new norm and it's just kind of getting used to that now. Yeah. Well, gosh, I, I really hope this is the, the, the norm and hopefully it's not so new, but um, you know, when we first started doing this, um, and, and we've talked about it, you know, for forever. It's always been, uh, maybe not seriously, but we kind of knew there was a problem during the, um, you know, the post-fire phase and going in there. But about eight years ago in Columbus, um, we decided to do this. And we spent some time talking to our folks about what we were going to do, um, kind of get their buy-in and, and really find out if, if anybody had an idea, is there a better way? Um, because that really helps with the buy-in. Uh, and, and really, everybody understood, yeah, I guess this really does make sense uh, when, when we did it. But one of the things that stuck out with me at that time um, was, was some of the officers and even firefighters we were talking to um, were like, you know, in, in 10 years from now, we're going to be looking back and we're going to be talking to new guys. And uh, um, they'll think, you know, we were crazy when we tell them we used to overhaul without an SCBA. Um, and and I, and I think that's, you know, very much so the case on our job now. And hopefully in the fire service, you know, you're kind of more of shunned 
uh, you're more of an outlier, hopefully, in, 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 in some places or most places uh, when you see people without it, right? I remember probably even five or six years ago um, at a fire where we had, um, you know, our, our folks were in overhauling. We had a suburban company uh, that was, that, that had showed up and um, they realized after a few minutes inside that they didn't have SCBA and that they were the only ones without the SCBA. And they, they quickly went outside and redone their SCBA. So I think we're making strides here. Um, you know, there's enough uh, out there on this is, you know, there, this is, this should be a no brainer. Um, is it hard? Absolutely, right? We, we, and, and this is where the, the fire service has to uh, not only be creative, but be willing to adapt and change to the fact that we have to, um, you know, have to, have, to, have to do things differently, right? So, so maybe the company that just got doing, done doing the really hard work of fighting the fire um, isn't the one who's gonna go back in and do the really, really hard work of overhaul. Right, and those are the kinds of changes we have to have to make to adapt. Now, uh, being where you're at, you've got a ton of resources. You're very fortunate in that fact. What are some things that smaller departments can do to try to accomplish this SCBA for overhaul um, for their departments? So that, that's a great that's a great point, right? I mean, and and, and we really are blessed. Uh, in, in larger cities to be able to have the resources. And the reality is most of, like you said, most of the fire service um, doesn't uh, have those kind of resources. And so, um, you know, the, the, the trade-off should not be that, you, that, we, that we risk the health, especially the long-term health and wellness of our, of our personnel um, for this, is that we have to actually maybe do things differently. Maybe let the fire cool down a little more. Um, maybe get in, uh, you know, mutual aid companies. We have to obviously fight for staffing, have to get um, agreements uh, with other, other departments to be able to get people in and do it. Um, but it shouldn't be the fire service saying, well, okay, you know, the administration or the city says that um, we don't have the uh, uh, resources, so we're gonna go ahead and, and go in there and hurt ourselves. You know, that, that shouldn't be the option. Um, so, Sometimes you do things differently, right? Maybe overhaul doesn't look the way uh, that it's looked for the you know past 20, 30 years. Maybe overhaul is uh, a lot more hydraulic. Maybe um, uh, maybe it's coming back and checking on it, uh, and maybe it's waiting a little longer till we get additional folks or till we have uh, proper rest periods between. You really shouldn't be trading, you know, trying to avoid cancer and overworking your firefighters to where now you're worried about a cardiac issue. Fair to say? Right, right. We have to basically just draw the line and say this is, you know, the cost of doing business shouldn't be um, dead or sick firefighters, right, or families, right? The cost of doing business should be it costs more to do this properly, right? No, there aren't very many industries where you can throw health and safety out the window um, to, to go do the job. And, uh, you know, and, and we're really at the post-fire phase where Let's face it, the emergency is over. Now we're looking at property conservation. Um, we're looking at taking care of the public, which we still have to do. We just have to find creative ways to do it uh, without risking our own health and, and, and safety and that of our family. Nice. So speaking about being on the scene for doing overhaul, I know, I know this topic is kind of near and dear to you and that was formerly known as gross decon, now known as 
preliminary exposure reduction PER. Um, I remember it's been a couple of years ago now looking at NFPA and they were talking about, you know, do we do a, a separate standard for gross decon? And you were the kind of the catalyst behind that. And I remember asking you like, Hey, this is, you know, they screwed up your, your name, your rank. They, they called you a Lieutenant and you just said, no, I actually, when I submitted this, I was still a Lieutenant. So <laughs> it took quite a while to get, where we're at. Could you talk about kind of a couple things here? Can you talk about what you're doing um, in your city and what you've seen really throughout the state and also kind of touch on, uh, I guess, 1585, which we're both active uh, in as well? Right. So I'll start there with the 1585 and you talk about when, you know, so I was the last lieutenant 10 years ago and, uh, and we are going back that long till long ago to when um, I, I, we started work in, in the NFPA Occupational Safety and Health Committee in 1500, uh, trying to find out how do we start, where are we gonna address uh, you know, uh, contamination reduction and cancer prevention? Uh, because these things were pretty much, I would say almost wholly absent from all NFPA standards. Uh, the only standards that really addressed anything as far as uh, cancer reduction was NFPA 1582 and uh, which is the, you know, the, uh, the, the medical standard and, and, and screening for cancer, uh, which is, you know, is, is pretty robust even today. And so that didn't really, you know, it, it was hard to get traction and to find out where it belonged. Uh, there was interest to put it in a new document, um, but it's a long process. The, the NFPA is a, is a wonderful process. Uh, I'm a big supporter, a big fan of it because it is very collaborative. Um, we get to vet a lot of ideas and hear a lot of points of view and listen to the experts and decide, you know, the best way to do something. And it, and it takes time and it, and it allows for all voices to be heard. So I'm a big fan of the process, but the downside is it takes a really long time to get things done often. And, and that's really what happened in, uh, with, with uh, contamination control. Uh, although, you know, looking back now, we did get a lot of stuff done, right? Uh, for, for over five years now, we've had it in NFPA uh, for about five years, I should say. We've had it in, in 1500. We had a whole chapter on contamination reduction. And then we've, we began work in 1584, which is the rehab standard, uh, to incorporate it there. And that actually should be coming out, um, I believe, later on this year. Uh, assuming everything stays on track, I think in October or no November, we'll see the new edition of NFPA uh, 1584, which is uh, rehabilitation, but also incorporates now as part of the rehabilitation process, um, you know, getting your body back in service, getting your equipment back in service, and, and looking at contamination control and reduction and what we do on the scene. Now, that being said, that's may live in that place for a short time because uh, the work that um, the direction it's now taken is to um, is to really uh, add a new committee uh, within within the safety umbrella in NFPA that looks at uh, that, that's going to now look at really contamination control by itself and try to incorporate uh, everything from everywhere right uh, whether it be uh, our turnout gear um, how we clean and decon our hose um, what our fire station should look like as far as uh, healthy living and design, uh, we're, we're probably gonna, there's probably a lot of things that are gonna live in this, in this new standard, NFPA 1585, and, and, and we've begun work this year, uh, or actually wasn't it, I believe it was late last year, right? No, it was, it was, we were able to meet live in January. January, okay. So that was, that was the only, right. 
time, unfortunately. Right. And we've got one coming up. Uh, I think we've got a week of meetings coming up on Zoom. So NFPA is an interesting process when you get to Zoom, but uh, I think we're all getting used to it by now. Um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, that committee is, you know, hopefully we're going to fast track and get a, a new document that's going to address contamination control. So, um, you know, what, what's happening there is, is a lot of the best practices or a lot of the, the, a lot of the best things we're seeing out there are going to become our minimum standards, right? And there's a difference between a minimum standard and a best practice. Um, but oftentimes best practices eventually evolve to becoming our minimum standards. And then we start looking at new ways to improve. Uh, but a lot of the things that we're seeing, things like preliminary exposure reduction, uh, certainly NFP or certainly SCBA use uh, during during you know throughout overhaul, uh, and what you do go back when you get back to the firehouse, right? Going back and taking a shower and um, how you take your equipment and uh, how we avoid cross contamination of equipment. Those types of things are all going you know are, will are all being addressed. Uh, and I shouldn't leave out uh, NFPA 1970 or 1851, which is the cleaning and care standard for protective clothing, because that committee has probably done uh, the most work and the most science work on on contamination control, because you know getting it how, how to keep it from uh, hopefully leaving the scene, but when it does leave the scene, that we keep it contained and don't bring it back into our firehouses, because that's ultimately the goal, right? The fire scene is a dirty, dirty place. And we're not gonna change that. Uh, it will always be a, a dirty and dangerous place. And, and uh, what we have to do is find ways to, you know, mitigate that and, and, and keep from bringing it in our fire truck, bringing it in our firehouses, and ultimately avoid bringing it home. Nice. Now, what are some of the things that your department is, has been doing regarding this? Um, well, you know, uh, <laughs> never enough, right? And that's, I guess, the curse of being a safety guy is uh, you see where you want to go, but you see how long it takes to, to get things done. Um, I, I would say on the one hand, never enough. On the other hand, um, we've made great strides and we're probably doing um, more than a lot of departments are doing uh, already. I mean, we've been, you know, so certainly uh, when it comes to, uh, like you mentioned, we talked about overhaul. We're, we're, we're doing that when it comes to cleaning turnout gear. Um, we've been very aggressive on changing how uh, and when we do that. So in the past, right, I think we were, many of us in the fire service were raised with the, the notion and uh, in, in, in the belief, right, that washing turnout gear was one of the worst things you could subject your gear to, right? Have you ever heard that? Sure. Right, when you, yeah, so it was like, oh, that was worse than going in a fire was, was washing your gear. That stuff's going to just destroy your gear. Uh, and so we washed it, you know, we washed it once a year. Uh, and after about, you know, uh, six or eight washes, right, sometimes six or eight years, sometimes that happened in less time. But after about six or eight washes, that gear was falling apart, right? And so I think that might be where some of that belief came from. It could be that earlier generations of gear um, – you know, didn't hold up as well. But I think a lot of it was is that the gear didn't hold up so well in the wash um, because the washing is a tough process. Um, what I think that, that we found, and this is, you know, maybe it's somewhat anecdotal, but I, but, but I also, I, I know that um, Lion uh, Apparel has actually done similar tests uh, to what we have uh, in Columbus with washing our gear. Uh, and we saw that washing the gear by itself wasn't not tearing it up. 
what was tearing our gear up was washing our gear after we let it sit and, and let all the fire ground contaminants, right? The acids, the alkalis, and all these corrosives and everything else that was liberated in the fire landed on our gear and sat there um, for weeks and months, uh, and it breaks down the fibers, right? Most, most gear uh, has Kevlar uh, in part of the weave, and Kevlar's, you know, very, very strong, but actually also fairly delicate. Um, and so um, what happens is, is that these corrosives and these, you know, acids and alkalis react uh, and they start to break that down. And so we, we saw that, yeah, after washing our gear, things just weren't holding up so well. When we started washing our gear regularly um, after every fire, um, we actually are not seeing gear breaking down nearly as much. We're getting more use out of gear uh, and we're seeing it hold up fairly well uh, through washes. Uh, we haven't come to a point where, you know, we're saying, oh, we're washing it too much. Uh, and, and if anything, I'd say, you know, we're, we're maybe washing it too little. Um, we're not 100% after a fire, although the, the crews that, um, the, the initial crews on the inside and the crews that are dirty or wet, uh, we do collect their gear, um, or at the very minimum, they'll, they'll bag their gear uh, when they get back in quarters. And, and we have a very, very robust laundry program. We have a 24 hour turnaround or about a 48 hour turnaround. Uh, so we're getting gear back to them. When you have individuals, correct me if I'm wrong, that are, that's, that's where they're assigned is to, is to basically inspect and treat and take care of fire gear. So we have a laundry technician. Actually, we have, um, uh, we have really about one and a half or two civilian laundry technicians that, that do manage in, uh, our gear program and maintain it. We have often light duty firefighters who will be assisting with that as well. And uh, the, currently we work on pretty much a gear exchange system that we give you loaner gear. Um, a lot of folks have their, um, their previous set of gear as a, um, as a, as a, a basically their, their, their backup gear. Uh, but we, you know, that's if we have a decent backup set. Okay. So in other words, have, is it kind of like, what size are you? Here's a, here's a set. It's not necessarily yeah. your gear. It's correct. It's uh, it's a, it's something to get you through the next couple of days. And like I said, most of our folks do have their their previous set, and they'll they'll be able to use that throughout the day. But either whatever we you know whatever whatever happens, we'll have a set. Now we we have been working towards getting to a point where we're going to do um, on scene collection, right? Where we we will have a gear support unit that will show up uh, early in the fire, and that uh, you know. Where, where we want to land with this, and that's really where the standards are being written, uh, where NFPA 1584 is, is direction, is they're going is that, um, is that part of your fire ground operation, uh, you know, when you are done, we're used to just packing our hose up, getting on our truck and going home and taking the next run. Uh, and we want to see more of a demobilization process, right? That your hose on your truck doesn't put you back in service, right? Clean gear, a shower, hydration, nutrition, whatever it takes to get your, your body in service, your, you know, your, your, your protective equipment in service is also just as important. Um, now that sounds great on paper and that is probably relatively easy to accomplish, you know, 90, 95% of the time, but we have to be flexible in the fire service and recognize that sometimes, um, you know, we still have runs to take in the public to serve. But that should be the exception. That shouldn't be the rule. The rule should be that we're, we're not cross-contaminating our equipment, not bringing it home to our firehouse. Uh, so, you know, right now, as far as what are we doing, uh, we do preliminary exposure reduction. Uh, it's very much at the company level. 
um, or as crews come out, they'll get, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll wash people down. Um, there are a lot of cities that are doing a much better job as far as being uh, more formalized, and that's where we want to get to, uh, setting up those practices. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of education. I don't think there's, you know, I don't, I, 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 I don't think there's anybody on our job who is, um, who would be surprised to hear that, you know, cancer is a, you know, is a serious issue in the fire service, that contamination is a serious issue, uh, and, and, and be aware of appropriate strategies to avoid contamination and, and you know, and, and keep ourselves healthy and safe. Uh, and and if, you, if you're okay, I want to pivot to, you know, kind of the, the next generation of turnout gear, right? Do because it. Absolutely. Um, so, so when we talk about, and, and really the next generation of turnout gear is here today. Um, I think most people are not, you know, aren't in it yet, but I think manufacturers, I know manufacturers are all um, working on and, and offering different. I didn't get that. Um, Could you try again? Oops, there you go. Be quiet, Siri. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't about you, Siri. Leave us alone. <laughs> um, uh, but there, you know, the, 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 the problem with our turnout gear today um, is that it does a great job of the things that it's designed to do, right? It's designed to keep, um, keep heat out, keep heat off of our body, and also um, let go of the heat that we generate internally so we don't overheat. So it's, it's based mostly around those things um, and keep us from getting you know, uh, steam burns, moisture, right? So it, it has its three layers, its composite that do a great job. Uh, but the problem was, is the interfaces. We've known this for a long time, uh, that when we move around, uh, we create, you know, negative pressures inside of our gear, and it moves air in and out, right? This is, this is a good thing in some ways, because it helps to keep us cool. It moves the, the air around. Um, it moves, you know, hot air out and fresh air in. Um, although the problem is, is we're not always in fresh air. And so uh, what, and, and I think we've all seen the, um, the fast test, right, that, that, that the IFF uh, funded and, and did, um, looking at the fluorescent aerosol. It was good. The fast is a, it's really a military test for fluorescent aerosol screening test, uh, where they put a firefighter in a chamber uh, in turnout gear and an SCBA doing, you know, some moderate levels of work for, um, I believe it was about 15 minutes and looking at, uh, there were fluorescent particles that were, you know, very, very small. Uh, you know, they were, they were, basically nanoparticles that, that are the kinds of things that we're dealing with in a fire environment. Uh, and we found that you take your gear off and that stuff is underneath you, right? It's, it's on your skin, it's all over your body, um, around your neck, around your arms, um, your, your torso, your legs, all these places where the interfaces of our gear is. And so um, the way to control that is to d design gear that addresses those interfaces, you know, addresses the interfaces with controls. Um, and so you'll see in most coats now, uh, we're moving to coats that have zippers, coats that have some sort of like uh, snow skirt uh, that, that help keep, uh, you know, moisture or air from, from coming in on the underside, a better boot pant interface, better coat or better arm, you know, glove interfaces. Uh, and then obviously the, the big one was the hood, which had, you know, very little protection and adding a, a barrier to that. Uh, so that we were not getting that stuff directly in our body. And, and in the, you know, in tests that have been done, uh, you know, and there's some UL tests that have looked at it, as well as it is an optional requirement in, in a PA 1971, the turnout gear standard. Uh, when those interfaces are put 
then the, num the amount of uh, particulate and, uh, and, and uh, airborne you know, toxins that come in is, is very, very minimal. And so uh, departments should all be looking at, you know, at what does our next generation of turn of gear look like? And, you know, and, and, and this isn't always comfortable, right? Because departments don't necessarily, or firefighters don't necessarily like change. Um, we like what we have. Uh, and there's trade-offs because you're not moving that air in and out. Uh, but from what we're seeing, and we've got uh, we've got this gear in the field um, for for you know a couple hundred sets right now. Uh, but what we're seeing is that we're not hearing about it, a lot of negative feedback on it, right? and 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 it's really changing. You know, it's again just like the overhaul. There's trade-offs. So you're going to come out, and we're going to open our coats up, and we're going to cool down, uh, and and start getting that air to you sooner. But you know, you can't say that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a fair trade-off to say, well, we don't want cardiac risk, um, so we're going to continue to have the cancer risk, right? We don't want either. And so how can we add the protections? And then what kind of mitigation or what kind of changes do we have to do so that um, we reduce our cardiac risk, we reduce our cancer risk and, and contamination risk? So with that, that conversation you just had there, um, between talking about SCBAs and now talking about this new gear, I mean, we're really talking about, we're addressing the, the two main exposures that we receive, whether it's inhalation or absorption. So that's the whole reason for limiting all these particulates, these, you know, carcinogens onto our skin because we actually absorb those in certain areas pretty high. Absolutely. And, and again, the research is there to support that. And, uh, you know, one of the other, the, uh, some of the, some of the, there's some newer, more recent research here in the last couple of years, uh, work being done, uh, UL, NIST, um, uh, uh, Denise Smith from uh, Skidmore, right, college was involved in this as well, uh, looking at, um, at training fires and the fuels there and kind of, you know, we are looking at what, what's coming out of our, um, while, while wearing an SCBA in your turnout gear, they're looking at your breath, they're, like you said, your respiratory, they're looking at your skin, your sweat, uh, and looking for your, the, the, the uh, polyaromatic hydrocarbons and the, the, the PAHs and the VOCs, the volatile organic compounds um, that are there. And we're finding that, um, you know, in training fires where we're using OSB, those numbers are very high. Uh, we're also finding that, um, you know, our fire instructors who are having repeated exposure, um, you know, multiple fires in a day, uh, multiple days in a row that that their levels of those uh, VOCs and pHs are also very high. Uh, so again, somewhere else that we have to look at, um, you know, what the fuel choices we have. And, and again, this is an emotional issue uh, for the fire service because we like realistic fires. Um, but, you know, we got rid of uh, using diesel fuel and other types of hydrocarbons uh, years ago in 1403. And I would expect uh, and I certainly think it's the right direction is that 1403 probably also has to address the types of fuel that we're using if we're finding that we're getting uh, these more insidious, you know, uh, exposures and contaminants uh, that are you know, going to have long-term health effects, whether it be cancer or, or other uh, metabolic changes that a lot of these chemicals will, will do, or do to us or that we pass on to our families. Exactly. So let me switch with you. Um, let's actually talk about when we get back to the station after the fire. Um, let's talk about exposure documentation. How important is this? This is still uh, new as far as, you know, it's only really been a couple of years since we 
most people have actively been doing this. So could you kind of touch on what you've seen, what you guys are doing? Yeah. So, I mean, I think when we all, you know, when I started, I'm guessing when you started and, and most of us, you know, there was, we, we talked about recording, you know, having, keeping a journal, right. Keeping a journal of your fires uh, in, in, in Columbus, we had a, uh, a, a little booklet for exposure documentation that had, um, you know, like, like transfer paper. So you had a, a copy that you kept and one you turned in, uh, we sent to the union and it was supposed to go in our file. Um, but let's face it. I mean, that well, number one, they, they, it was all on uh, on us to, to take care of it. It wasn't really going anywhere. And while you may take it seriously in the beginning, very quickly it dies off. Most people don't keep that kind of journal, um, it, it being completely voluntary. Uh, and it probably wouldn't even, weren't keeping enough exposures um, because, you know, in, in our firehouse, many of our firehouses, we don't have direct capture. We have diesel exposure in our firehouse. We have diesel exposure every time we're on going out the door. Um, every time you have a fire. And now, um, and so th the truth is, is that, you know, as much as we know that we should be collecting exposure-wise, there's probably a lot of things we don't even know that we should be collecting yet exposure-wise. So keeping records, uh, having good data is, is so important, so critical of having your run history. Uh, and so um, you need to be doing something. Right, so one thing, one thing that's out there, one of the newer things is the, uh, the N4s, National Fire Operations Reporting System uh, Exposure App. Uh, I'm a big fan of this. Uh, it doesn't, this isn't the only way to do it, but it's a way, there's other apps out there, there's other systems out there. Uh, what's nice about uh, the N4s Exposure App, especially if your department um, becomes an N4s department, is that uh, all of your runs, all of your incidents that you're assigned to are, are pushed into it. Uh, and you have a, basically you have an electronic record um, that's independent of your employer. Uh, so whether it be that you're, you know, uh, teaching a fire class on the side, taking a class somewhere else, um, or if you're working another job or you change jobs, your exposure history, your exposure record is, is there. Uh, and you have the ability to put in uh, specific information into your exposures as well. Uh, so you had a fire and you can talk about, you know, you can enter information about what you did, uh, where you on air and things like that, uh, what kind of exposure you had and how you took care of your gear. Uh, and the other nice thing about it is now we're also looking at your um, traumatic exposures, right? Because, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, one of the, you know, obviously one of the challenges or one of the, one of the big risks that uh, the fire service is facing is our chemical exposures and cancer, um, but also mental health. Mental health is is uh, is the other one of the other really you know big issues, big health and safety challenges facing the fire service, uh, and we don't think about it on the individual runs. We don't think about uh, the number of people we see uh, on their on their worst day, uh, or certainly on their really 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 bad days, um, and but they are cumulative, right? And so the cumulative stress is something that we should be keeping track of and. Um, and and in that app allows you to do that as well. Uh, how many shootings are you going on, right? Uh, you know, we don't think much about it, but um, it starts, you know, there is this compassion fatigue. I think that, um, you know, many of us, if not most people are, 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 are struggling with uh, as we see this day in and day out. Um, and so keeping that record is also really important because, you know, that, that mental injury is not a physical injury, uh, but it, it's something that we do have to find better ways to take care of ourselves. No, absolutely. 
staying on that topic, the behavioral health topic, could you talk about your OAPFF behavioral health site? Because this is something that really everybody should look at. Everybody should try to mimic you really. I mean, that, that, you know, what you've have put together is a great tool for the Ohio firefighters and it'd be great for all other firefighters to have something similar to this wherever they're at. Right. So we're in, uh, so, so the, the uh, OAPFF's uh, site is firefightermentalhealth.org. Uh, and on that site, we have some, you know, general behavior health information for the fire service. Uh, but, you know, the, 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 the big piece, the, you know, the, one of the important key pieces of it is also um, it's an access, it's a portal to um, our peer support program. And so uh, one thing, and, and so in this, by the way, this, this site and, and, and the initiatives within the OAPFF uh, were one of the, you know, were one of the key priorities for um, uh, President Mike Taylor, uh, the current president of the OAPFF. Uh, when he came in, he, you know, I think we, we all were, are at a point and have been at a point for a long time of, um, we, we keep hearing of the, the, you know, or we're aware of our, our, our suicides on the job. And from the OAPFF, we're seeing it all over the state. Uh, in all of our departments, you know, we know somebody who um, who died an unnatural death. Um, you know, whether whether it be um, suicide uh, by themselves uh, or whether it be that uh, substance abuse, whether their career ended, whether they um, you know alcohol-related um, accidents, injuries, uh, or or drug use, right? And uh, the 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 understanding, the realization. Uh, that a lot of this is, you know, it's job related. This is how folks are coping um, and, and how they're dealing with things. But, uh, and some aren't doing well, right? And that's why we're seeing uh, the increased number of suicides. Uh, in Columbus, you know, we've had in, in my career, um, probably about, uh, about, about a dozen firefighters um, who have died from uh, what we'll call unnatural deaths, right? And, and most of those were, were suicide, um, but other ones that, you know, that just, didn't make a whole lot of sense, were drug related, things like that. Uh, and we're also seeing it in retirees. And so uh, we wanted to be able to uh, be more aggressive about this uh, and also normalize the conversation about mental health, which I think uh, has come a long way, right? Uh, it, it was, you know, a generation ago, it was a lot more tough guy and uh, suck it up. And if you can't take it, you shouldn't be in a job. Uh, today, there's much more understanding and much more, uh, much more sympathy on the job and empathy for others and, and understanding. And so I believe the discussion, I certainly hope the discussion has been normalized. And if it hasn't been normalized in your department, if it's, if it's still something which is, you know, you don't talk about openly, uh, you're doing it wrong, right? And, and so we, we, we wanted to create a resource uh, to, 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 to help normalize this. So that was the firefightermentalhealth.org uh, and our peer program. And so we were, we, we early on in the program, we, we became IFF trained peers uh, and we, we set it up uh, around the state where we have uh, five districts in the OAPFF and in each district we, we identified uh, really about five to seven peers that uh, spread throughout the district that we wanted uh, to be available. Um, and, and on top of that, we, you know, we, 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 we made it so that we had um, coordinators or district coordinators in each district so that it was kind of decentralized. Uh, and the program has worked really well, I have to say. Um, we're very happy with it. We, we have a lot of people reaching out uh, using the resource. And uh, the portal uh, on the website 
uh, one of the important things that, that I think we did was um, we didn't make it so you had to be a member. We didn't make it so you had to have a password. Uh, we didn't make it so that you had to click a bunch of times, right? If you, if you open it up on your phone, if you open up your computer, um, when, you, when you go to the pair page, you can see all our pairs. It has a picture of them. It has their bio. Uh, and what you'll see is that, you know, somebody who's a pair probably has gone through um, some, some real challenges uh, in their life and their career, just like the rest of us, right? And they've shared it. Um, they're human. And you can, you can read their bios, you can relate to them uh, and know that they can relate to you. They're very sympathetic, empathetic people. Um, and, and their phone number's there and their email's there. And so, you know, you're just a click away and you can talk to a person. You don't have to go through a system. You don't have to, to you know, leave a voicemail or anything. If you wanna reach out to somebody, you reach out and you speak to them. Uh, and I think that's been an important piece of this. I think even if I can't expound on that website, um, you know, we, for the longest time where I lived, we had a residency rule. We were stuck in my city and that went away in the state a little over, I think 11 years ago. And so now, now I have members all throughout the state and just every third day they, they make the trip, you know, over here to work. Um, and what, what you have on that website is it's actually broken down by County with different resources that are available that are all firefighter friendly. So you can be wherever throughout our state and go on this site and see, you know, reach out to see who's available to you that, you know, generally takes care of us. It's not just anybody and everybody. I mean, they have to be vetted to get on that website. And so, you know, you have a friend and whatever number you, you, you dial to, you know, to get help and it's all going to be near you as well. No, that's a, that's a great point. And, and, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because you know, tie, along with that is that not everybody wants to, um, wants to talk to a pair on their own apartment, right? This is a, it becomes very personal. A lot of people aren't comfortable speaking to, um, speaking to somebody that they work with. Um, and some people are. So while there are a lot of departments and we encourage um, all the departments uh, to establish their own pair program and, 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 and get to the point where these discussions become normal. Um, I think we're still at a point where a lot of people just, you know, they want to, they don't want to share their, um, their, their, their situation at work. Um, sometimes, you know, and, and it depends on the department, but you know, I think we, it does, I, I get, maybe it doesn't depend on the department. I think the reality is in the fire service, there are very few secrets, right? And so people don't always want to, um, or at least within your department, there's very few secrets. And so, uh, the OAPFF peer team gives you an opportunity to go uh, share your secret for that matter, right? With somebody else uh, and talk about it and help get you, um, point you in the right direction, right? Our peers can't necessarily, uh, you know, uh, resolve every issue, but we can, we can get you to the help you need. Uh, most uh, peer interactions are uh, resolved within two to three interactions without further, uh, the need for further assistance. Uh, but sometimes people want a referral. And that's another thing on the website, right? So maybe a member doesn't want to speak to a peer. Maybe they just want to, they want to find a clinician. Maybe they want marital, uh, you know, a, a marital therapist. Um, maybe they want to deal with the issue on their own with the therapist, or they want to go, you know, they, they realize they need some sort of uh, inner outpatient care. Um, we have those resources as well. So you can look by district, you can find something in your area uh, and people that, um, 
are, are vetted or at least we have experience with, right? So anybody on our site, it's just not names out of a phone book. These are names that um, of, of clinicians who, um, firefighters that we know um, or that we have worked with directly uh, and, and are, understand who we are. Right, because I mean, I think the, the horror story in the fire service is, you know, is when the firefighter goes to the clinician and starts talking about what they're going through and the clinician doesn't know how to handle it, right? Doesn't understand our schedule, doesn't understand our lifestyle, and doesn't understand what we see. Uh, in that at the end of the session, the clinician's the one crying on the couch, right? And so we want to, we want to avoid that situation. I've heard way too many stories about that. I mean, even yeah. on this show. Um, one of the other things I wanted to touch on, because I know you're a part of this as well, but the state peer team, uh, just a little over a year ago, you know, we had our mass shooting and uh, a bat signal was thrown up and we had peers converge on us for three days all throughout the state. They, they came from all over the place and went around and helped us, you know, with our station to station visits and, and talking to all of our members. So, I mean, I just actually having lived through that that experience and having everybody come here to help was absolutely amazing. And, and knowing that if something else happens throughout our state, they'll go there too. You know, it's, it's, it's nice. Even if you're, you know, a smaller department, you don't have a peer support team. Um, you know, maybe you just, there's no peer support team close to you and that's okay. You know, people from the state will come. That, that's a great point. Um, again, glad you brought that up because I, I, I kind of went back to that. When we started this program, um, we were thinking all peer, right? That this was a peer interaction. This was all going to be one-to-one. And what we found out very quickly was that, um, a, you know, we, we were doing a lot of these crisis interventions um, for departments following a significant event. But I won't say that it's it's most of our responses or even more than half of them. Um, but it, 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 it certainly in the first year or two, it turned out to be um, a lot more than we ever anticipated uh, being able to send peers in, whether it be um, a firefighter, um, when we've had firefighters who, um, you know, died prematurely off duty um, from, from whatever cause uh, to um, line of duty deaths, uh, and things like that, um, to the shooting in Dayton, being able to um, put together a response team to have people in the firehouse, right? You know, whether it be that day or the next morning, who were sitting there ready to talk and listen and talk about, here's what you can expect, right? And so um, some departments are well-equipped to do this, um, but what we found is many departments are completely um, you know, unprepared for it in that many departments have uh, EAP programs, which are just a contract that they sign, and that the EAP clinicians um, are not people who understand what we do, haven't done ride-alongs, and, and don't really know. They're just a phone number, and it's a checkbox for the city to say that they have an EAP. Um, that's improving in many places, and, and I have to say that I was very ignorant uh, to the fact of how poor it was in other cities uh, uh, before I took this job. Um, you know, eight, eight years ago, or not eight years ago, it's been about seven years, I guess, uh, with the OAPFF, uh, was that in Columbus, we have a very robust um, EAP. Uh, we have clinicians who's, who, who has ridden along um, with, knows most of our personnel. Everybody has met everybody, right? Has been involved in our, our family night well, when we're hiring people in Recruit Academy, um, she's there uh, and gets us, totally gets us, and um, 
you know, firefighters are pretty comfortable in calling the specific phone to call EAP. Um, that is the exception, right? And, and what I found the rule is, is that people don't even know where to turn. They don't know what to do and it's all stuck inside um, because, you know, it's not something they're comfortable talking to their coworkers and their spouses often can't relate to what we do. And so having that outlet is, is so important. So for all of you, I, I implore you to go to this website. You know, if you don't have something like this for your state or Providence, it's about time to get something set up like that. You know, if they're able to go, your members are able to go there and find the resources, find a peer. I mean, it's, it's absolutely huge. So, you know, gather all those, all that information, put it all on one site. Good to go. All right. So let me ask you this, Dave, what are some emerging issues that, cause you're, you're all over the place. What, what do you see coming that uh, you're kind of passionate about? Uh, well, emerging issues. Um, so when we think about the, the health and safety challenges of the fire service, right? We think about um, uh, elevated cardiac risk. We think about um, increased risk of cancer and other, you know, and other, other uh, metabolic changes and, and issues from contaminants. Um, and and we're, we're certainly the behavioral health, the depression, the anxiety um, are all kind of those, those big three right, leading causes of death. Um, what ties all those together, what we're learning is, is really sleep, right? And, um, and circadian disruption, shift work disorder, call it what you want. Um, you know, this, this is, you know, and even tied to that is our eating patterns and our obesity, uh, which is very prevalent in the fire service, also tied to our circadian disruption, right? So your circadian rhythm isn't just when you sleep, it's also when you're seeing light, and it's also when you're eating. And these three things have to be in sync, right? Getting sleep when you're supposed to sleep, not eating when you're not supposed to eat, and not seeing light when you're, when you're not supposed to see light. Because those three things all turn on your cells, right? And they cause, they, they, they result in increased heart risk, um, increased other medical problems, diabetes, um, diabetes, heart disease, increased risk of cancer, uh, increased risk of depression and anxiety are all tied back to this. And so this is a tough one, right? Because um, our lifestyle is, is, is not conducive um, necessarily to, um, to, to, you know, getting sleep when we're supposed to, not seeing light when we're not supposed to do it, and, and also not eating when we're not supposed to eat, right? And so how do we address this in the fire service? Because, um, you know, this comes down to being shift work. Now, the reality is, is that, you know, everybody's a shift worker at some point in their life. Um, new moms are shift workers, right? They're, they're getting up throughout the night. Um, these, these, this is just part of life. So it's okay to be a shift worker, you know? What, what you need to do is manage your time off better, right? Get, get to sleep, get caught up, um, not eating um, at night when you don't have to, limiting the amount of light that you're seeing, um, but you're gonna have exceptions in this job. And, you know, just changing our schedule, because that often, that's usually the fear when we talk about sleep, is everybody's like, oh, they're not touching our schedule. Um, and and I, don't, I don't believe, and I've and I, you know, spoken to many of the researchers uh, that are looking at this issue, and I don't think anybody really believes that we can change the schedule and that fixes anything, right? Because two-thirds of your people aren't going to be in the right place, and they're going to be even worse off, 
um, because, of, because of that schedule. And so it's really about sleep hygiene is what we should be looking at. Uh, and how do, we, how do we do that? So, uh, you know, some simple things that education I think is important when it comes to our eating patterns and obesity um, is, is, is one piece of it. Making sure if, if our firefighters understand sleep and understand circadian rhythm and how it works, uh, hopefully they're gonna make better decisions, right? When they get off work, they might take that nap that they need. They might get to sleep uh, on time the next night and, and, and treat those next two days off uh, appropriately. Uh, strategic use of caffeine, right? Taking a nap during the day at the firehouse um, is, a, is a good idea. Um, so those are, those are all things that we can do to, uh, to address sleep. Shift work, you know, uh, you know certainly the 48-hour the shift um, is, you know, I think studies now are, are suggesting that might be problematic. Um, a lot of people don't want to hear that. Um, but regardless of what you're working, uh, whether it's a 2448, whether it's a 4896, or, or, or some other variation of it, um, it is what it is, right? And, and how, do we, how, do we, how do we better manage it? Uh, so that's, that, I think, is one of the big emerging issues. Can, uh, it's okay if I add on to that a little bit, a few things? Please, yeah. All right. I'll give you a break for a minute. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's my show. I can make up the rules. Uh, I've heard more and more often that um, the ideal shift for us is going to be 2472s. Just, you know, getting it down to a 42 hour work week and not working. Uh, you know, I mean, that's what typically, you know, we work in this country is 40 hours. So getting it closer to that and basically being able to sleep in your own bed and, and being able to recover more. So what are your thoughts on that real quick? I love it. <laughs> yeah, but easier, easier love, said than done, right? Easier said than done. I, I mean, I think absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the, the shift is, is, is not wonderful for us, but I don't think that's our only problem, right? It's what we, how we treat those other days is what, is what the issue is. But uh, certainly, um, a, you know, getting down to a 42-hour work week is, is, is never a bad idea. Um, having less overnights is never a bad idea. I think even the hospitals are, I know even the hospitals are realizing this now with their, with, you know, with a lot of their night staff is, is, is in the docs who are, you know, hopefully working less overnights, uh, that it really messes you up and certainly not working overnights in a row is a problem. I think one of the other things too, is we have a massive amount of sleep disorders throughout the fire service. So the yeah. whole idea is, you know, I, and I can speak for myself, um, you know, I have sleep apnea. I've got a CPAP machine. I bring it with me on shift. I, I sleep with it at home. Um, you know, and because of that, I can tell you my quality of sleep when I do sleep is much better than it was without it. So, um, you know, if, if you're having issues sleeping, get checked out, whether it's sleep apnea or anything else. Uh, that quality of sleep is going to help out tremendously. And then yeah, just and uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, and you're going to probably add years to your life um, because, you know, untreated sleep apnea is, is a, again, a serious health risk and uh, makes, a, makes a big difference. And you're probably less grumpy than you used to be. You know, you have, uh, this kind of rolls into this here. Um, and again, I'm not sure you have this. What you do have is you have new fire stations. And that's not anything that I will see throughout my career where I'm at, unfortunately. Did you do anything in those fire stations to uh, 
kind of program, like uh, let's say, for example, if you're on the medic, you're only going to get woke up for your medic calls, or if you're on the truck, you only get, you know, you don't get woke up for the medics, but just for your own particular apparatus. Did you, so, were you able um, to do any of that? No, I'm glad you brought that up actually. So, um, well, we don't have, you know, we've got, we've got 34 firehouses. Um, so we don't have all new firehouses, but we are still building firehouses. Um, and we have one that's actually going to open up here in a few months. And that is, that is a feature we tried. We, we had one who opened last year, tried very, tried really hard to, to add, um, zone alerting. So what, what, what we're talking about here is, um, a couple different things. One is zone alerting, right? That you only alert the areas that need to be alerted. Um, so at night you go into a bedroom, you program that, oh, I'm on engine 16. Um, you program it in there and when the engine gets a run, the PA in there opens up, it's gradual tones. Uh, so it'll, 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 it, also the lighting is gradual. Um, you can go as far as having pathway lighting, right? Some, some soft, you know, red pathway lighting that, that when you open your door and you go out, you'll have a pathway lighting out to the bay. The apparatus floor doesn't come all the lights on all at once, which most of our firehouses do now that you have, um, you know, we have the energy efficient lighting. So then you walk in, it goes from completely black to every light in the world goes on there, um, which is not good for you. Um, we know that. Um, so, so those are some pieces of, uh, that, that, that's kind of stuff that we're looking at or, or we've done in this one firehouse and hopefully we can, we can retrofit other firehouses to do the same thing. Uh, but yeah, we have a station opening up later this year, our new station 16, and it will have uh, uh, basically the whole ball of wax when it comes to uh, zone alerting, uh, lighting, gradual lighting, and, and, and all that stuff will, will go along with it. The other thing that we've done in our last, our last firehouse and this one coming up is um, uh, as far as our you know, uh, health and safety was zoning the firehouse so that we had uh, clean areas and dirty areas and transition areas. Uh, pressurizing the, um, the, the, the firehouse, the clean areas, basically, uh, so that you're not, you know, when you're opening doorways, you're not drawing air in from the bays. Uh, our our, 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 our uh, transition areas, uh, after a fire, you go from the, from the apparatus where you go into a room where you can, you can take your uniform off, um, you can bag that, you go into a bathroom, uh, take a shower, you know, you have a locker in there that has, has a, um, has a uniform and whatever you need in there. Uh, and now you're not bringing the stuff into the firehouse. Uh, so that big change, right? Big changes. And, and this is, uh, if you haven't, if you're building a firehouse, I will tell you this. I went last year to the, uh, uh, the, the Bureau Station Design uh, Symposium. And uh, it was my first time going to one of these. And, and I have to tell you, uh, I was, my eyes were completely opened. It was fascinating. Um, the architects, the researchers, the folks that are there that are working on um, our station design, they understand us, they get us. There was so much work that was being done um, in two areas. One was contamination control for the fire service and how they're designing firehouses to, to, you know, to, to prevent contamination uh, of, the, of the living space. And the other was the, the behavioral health side of it. They understood uh, you know, that, that this wasn't just um, a garage, right? When firehouses were originally built, it would, you had a, a place for your trucks and a place to sit um, and a place to sleep, um, that this is your home, right? For a third of your life, this is your home. And, and, and they're designing firehouses with natural light, with open areas and private areas. Um, so much thought goes into it now. And so if you are looking at building a firehouse, 
there's, I think Firehouse does one as well. Fiero does one. Uh, usually I think there's, so there's at least two a year of these station design conferences. Definitely worth a trip. Nice. Perfect. Perfect. Now let me finally try to get you out of here. I want to go over some of these 25 questions. Let's actually learn about the personal side of you for all, um, basically hour a day you probably have. <laughs> it seems you're a busy, busy man. Um, so you kind of know the rules, pick a number. I'll give you a question and we'll go from there. Oh, I guess I, oh, well, I'm going to go with, um, number 21. Okay. Favorite album. Oh, geez. Um, that, you know, I'm listening to different stuff these days. Um, I'm turned into an alt rock fan. Um, so rather than an album, and you don't listen to albums so much anymore. If I had to go to an album, I'd probably go back back a few years, uh, and I would have to say, man, I'd, I'd be somewhere between the Grateful Dead and Pink Floyd. But but kind of what comes in my head, at least as an album, like The Wall is still amazing. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon, pretty pretty good too. I don't know why I'm I kind of gravitated that way. Uh, you you hippie. Yeah, well, no, it's, all, it's all stuff I love yeah. that too. So yeah, but now I'm an alt, alt rock. I like I like like Death Cab for Cutie and the Killers, um, Arcade Fire. I, I think it's the tempo that I like about alt rock. It's got like this faster tempo that um, I guess helps to regulate my adult ADD. Self-diagnosed, of course. Yes. <laughs> all right. Um, how about another number? That was good. Uh, okay, let's go for seventeen. Favorite actor or actress? Uh, I'm going to pick another number. I don't even know where to... And I do watch stuff. I just... I don't know that I have a favorite actor or actress. Um, seven. <laughs> <laughs> can I, can, am I allowed to do that? Can I take a pass? It's your show, but... Yeah, no. I have to think about... I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Uh, I wish, I, wish I would have known their random questions. I wish I would have known what these numbers meant. I would have picked my numbers more carefully. Well, no, that's not fair. <laughs> not fair at all. I don't think you actually have 25 things there, but I'll... I do. Look, okay. here's, I mean, here's the sheet, and nobody else can see it, but, I mean, it's on Zoom. There's 25 of them. Okay. Will you agree that there's 25 there? Uh, yeah, now I couldn't that, really now, see them. But now that you've seen this, the witness yeah. has, has seen this, number okay. seven. What is something popular now, but everyone will look back in five years from now and think it's stupid and embarrassing? <laughs> Don't say COVID. Yeah, well, that's funny. Um, See, these are tougher questions than everything else I asked you before. Yeah, that is a tougher question. That's a good question, though. I feel like I need to, um, you know, my immediately thought is, is, you know, thinking back to like, you know, parachute pants or bell bottoms. Yeah. Uh, and I think present day equivalent because I don't feel like there are some. I'm thinking about I've got four boys and um, I don't see anything really stupid um, other than, you know, <laughs> got four boys. You know, they're, they're wonderful, actually. <laughs> Bring a lot of joy in my life. Um, what are something? I should have a fast answer for this. Something we're doing now that is. We're going to look back on and think is really stupid. And I, I should keep COVID and probably politics out of it, right? <laughs> probably. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, want, Pat, I, I think I think I think getting rid of the post office. How's that? That seems. Uh, I think we'll look back on that and say, what the hell? Uh, all the all the everything we're doing to. Uh, that's not a business that's a service yeah yeah i agree that's a good one all right let's let's get one more good one or do you want me to pick i want you to pick no i want to okay i want to do this one because this is important because you're all over the place how do you manage stress um, so when i guess we'll talk about i guess the answer would be what do i what do i do that's not all this other stuff, right? Because I do, I work a lot, um, but but I am able to um, turn off a little bit. So I guess there's there's two things. One is I do turn off um, on one day of the weekend, right? I uh, I, I pretty much I, I'm pretty much out of it unless I'm working at the firehouse on Saturday. Um, I'm not I'm not on the phone. I'm not doing emails. I'm not doing any of that stuff. I, I turn off completely and and completely completely. And I think that's been uh, one of my secrets of, of success or health is that I, I, I do, um, I do that. I'm back into it, you know, the, the next day. Um, but turning off has been a very good thing. Also, you know, being able to take time and do things that you enjoy. Um, certainly, you know, uh, be able to get stuff done around the house is actually, you know, it's, it's sometimes nice to have time like that. Uh, and I like to cook. So if I take time and, and I cook, I mess around in the kitchen. Uh, that's uh, also a pleasure. Very good. Now for all these listeners here, if they wanted to track you down and stalk you, where can they find you? Um, so, uh, well, the easiest thing is probably an email, but you probably can't spell my name. I think all my emails have uh, pretty much have my first initial last name, D. Burnsweig, um, at uh, oaplhealth.org. Uh, or columbus.gov or me.com is, uh, but, but that's probably not a fair way. Um, OEPFF website actually, I think has, uh, should have my uh, contact information. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not much of a social media person other than that. I actually, I, I think I have a Facebook account, but I don't really do Facebook at all. What about um, MySpace? Uh, <laughs> I, try to years, bring, yeah. I try to bring <laughs> MySpace up on every episode. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah. Well, I thought that was a really good idea five years ago <laughs> or 10 years ago. Um, definitely not MySpace. No, LinkedIn, which I'm not sure what, what it's good for other than it's a, you, know, you can find people and, and find out who they are, I guess, when, 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 you, when you hear a name dropped. Or, but you got to be careful because if you click on them, they know you clicked on them. Oh, uh, well. I'm, it's, okay. not, it's not as fun <laughs> stalking that way when yeah, they well. know you're stalking them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're not going to find me. You can try to find me on Facebook, but I probably won't respond to you. Uh, but yeah, OEPFF website, uh, if you, you can find something on me if you look for me. Uh, and you're welcome to share the information as well. Uh, my cell phone, if people want that as well, I'm happy to take calls. So. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you for making a time for me. I know you're a busy, busy guy. Uh, this is really the only way I get to have a quality hour with you is I have to schedule a, a meeting just to hang out and talk, <laughs> touch base. But um, now for everybody out there, don't forget to like, don't forget to share, leave some comments and uh, I'll see you all next week. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for doing this.